Hey everybody, Nick Espinoza, your chief security fanatic here, and it is Saturday, so we are now doing cyber and tech news of the week. That's right. The last week, uh, this past week since Sunday, November 26th through today, December 2nd, and this is a new segment, so I would love some feedback if you're a regular follower, listener, uh, you know, whatever it is, because I'm trying to improve this, I'm trying to hone this, so please feel free to critique as best you can. But these are the news articles you may have missed this past week in cyber and tech news that I thought were really interesting. I'm sure there's more. And this also does not include any of the videos or podcasts that I've done throughout the week as well. And so if you think I missed something, go ahead and check my YouTube channel, SoundCloud, wherever it is that you follow me and check those out. And with that, let's get started because this has been, quite frankly, a very interesting week. And so in Google News, uh, basically DeepMind AI is revealing potential for thousands of new materials that might be able to be manufactured. Now this is coming from Reuters, and here's what's going on. Google DeepMind has used artificial intelligence, or AI, to predict the structure of more than two million new materials, and that's a breakthrough that could soon be used to improve real-world technologies. Now in a research paper that was published in the science journal Nature this past Wednesday, Alphabet, the uh, basically parent of Google, said that almost 400,000 of its hypothetical material material designs could be uh, basically produced in lab conditions. Now, potential applications for the research include the production of better performing batteries, better performing solar panels, and more uh, powerful uh, computer chips. Now, the discovery and synthesis of new materials can be a costly and time-consuming process. For example, it took about two decades of research before lithium-ion batteries, which we're using in friggin' everything now, were made commercially available. So we are basically going at, they're seeing the foundation right now of what artificial intelligence is doing, and therefore ramping it up. <clears throat> and so we may see in the next 5, 10, 20 years, a lot of these things come into fruition, because the interesting part is, as we continue to improve and artificial intelligence gives us new ways, we are also continuing to improve our manufacturing processes as well, and I think that's a pretty cool thing, and so that is your Google slash AI news of the week. On top of it, we've got flying cars, and in flying car news, they're coming to the United States. Now, this is from Electrek, and I think this is really interesting, fascinating, and I kind of want one. Now, a company called Doroni is claiming to be the first company to test manned flights with a two-seater flying electric car in the United States. The Doroni H1 took flight earlier this year. Now, CEO Doron uh, Merdinger, and I'm guessing that's where Doroni comes from, successfully piloted the personal electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft known as EVTOL this past summer. Now, Merdinger said uh, receiving the flight certification, quote, is not just a milestone for our company, but a leap forward for the entire field of personal air mobility. That's right. The United States basically certified this for flying. Now, he also said that the electric flying car is, quote, poised to redefine urban transportation. Doroni's aircraft already has received over 370 pre-orders as the startup wraps up its funding efforts. Powered by 10 independent propulsion systems, the all-electric flying car has claimed top speed of 140 miles an hour with basically 100 mile an hour cruising speed and a 60 mile range. Its unique design ensures stability during flight. And if you look at this thing, it's like a UFO kind of looking thing. With all these fans on, it looks like an oversized drone that you can sit in and fly around. So, flying cars are coming. 
We keep improving and there you go. Moving on, let's go back to Google real quick and talk about Google Maps because they basically just redid the colors that are used to denote different elements and a significant portion of its regular users apparently are not happy about this change. I've seen it my, myself as well as you know I use Google Maps and uh, yeah, I, I was like, huh, I'm not sure I'm a fan of this. Now, as you may have seen, if you're using Google Maps, this change in color palette was first started to be rolled out back in September, but it now is widely rolling out to users of Google's navigation app. Google Maps now has gray roads like Apple uh, rather than white and yellow roads as previously, and forests are darker green. On the other hand, the shade of blue used for water is now lighter as well. However, the active route is much darker blue with alternative routes shown in lighter blue, those used to be gray. Now, that may not sound like huge changes and all of that, and to be fair, they honestly aren't. They're basically tweaks to the system itself, but they've rubbed a lot of users the wrong way. Android Authority points out that basically there has been a lot of feedback on Google Maps on the Reddit X, formerly Twitter, online forums. So that obviously is a huge thing. If people on Reddit and X, formerly Twitter, are talking about this, it's there you go. But like everything, I think, when we see these kinds of rollouts or when they change layouts on, let's say, Facebook, for example, a lot of people complain. But you know what? It's just one of those things where Google says, we don't care, we don't have to. We're Google, you're going to live with it, and ain't nobody switching to Apple Maps unless you're that much of a, a diehard Apple fan. And speaking of uh, Apple, go ahead and update your iPhone and your iPad ASAP. Now, here's what's going on. Apple has released security updates for iPhones, iPads, and Macs as well to patch against two new vulnerabilities, which the company says are actively exploiting, and basically uh, are actively being exploited and are getting people hacked. Now, the technology giant rolled out new software updates, uh, basically iOS and PadOS 17.1.2 and macOS 14.1.2 following a vulnerability disclosure by security researchers at Google's Threat Analysis Group, which investigates government-backed cyber attacks. Now, in the updates rolled out this past Thursday, Apple said that it fixed two vulnerabilities in WebKit, the browser engine that powers Safari and other apps as well. The vulnerabilities allow for attackers to remotely plant malicious code, such as spyware, on the person's device over the internet. Now, Apple rolled out its update uh, to its browser as well, Safari 17.1.2, for users running older versions of macOS Monterey and macOS Ventura. So in other words, those Mac versions are not susceptible to it, but your browser is, and so now your browser on those are getting an update. Now, it's not known who is exploiting these new zero-day vulnerabilities. Google has not yet attributed the exploitation to a particular uh, threat actor or government. Apple and Google did not provide further details of the vulnerabilities, and very interestingly enough, Probably the number one research outfit that finds vulnerabilities in uh, Apple products is their biggest competitor, Google. It's kind of a poke in the eye that Google likes to do to Apple all the time. That said, I'm glad they're doing it. And Apple people, you need security too. Don't believe the Apple marketing hype. Go update your iPad, your iPhone, your Mac, and Safari if you've got those macOS versions. Super, super important. Moving on. Let's talk about generative AI, specifically in the European Union, because it's now a stumbling block in terms of legislation and regulation. Now, this is coming from Reuters, and here's what's going on. EU lawmakers cannot agree on how to regulate systems like ChatGPT in a threat to landmark legislation aimed at keeping AI in check, according to six sources talking to Reuters. Now, as negotiators met this past Friday, 
four uh, crucial discussions ahead of the final talks scheduled for December 6, quote-unquote foundation models or generative AI, have become a main hurdle in the talks over the EU's proposed Artificial Intelligence Act. And that's according to the sources who decline to be identified because... These discussions are actually confidential. Now, foundation models like the one built by Microsoft-backed OpenAI are artificial intelligence systems trained on large sets of data with the ability to learn from new data and perform various tasks. They're also known for the record as large language models, or LLMs. Now, after two years of negotiation, the bill was approved by the European Parliament this past June. The basically draft AI rules now need to be agreed through meetings between representatives of the European Parliament, the Council, and the European Commission. Now, experts from EU countries uh, basically uh, met on Friday, or I'm sorry, will meet this Friday to tr uh, tr basically thrash out their position on foundation models, access to source codes, fines, and other topics, while lawmakers from the European Parliament are also gathering to finalize their stance. Now, if they cannot agree, the act basically is at risk of being shelved due to a lack of time before the European parliamentary elections next year. And EU has always been on the forefront of things like data privacy for their citizens. Think about GDPR and the other things they've been doing with data regulation. And so they are pretty gung-ho to make sure that they get the AI Act or Artificial Intelligence Act up and running ASAP. And quite frankly, I hope they do because they are leading the way. And even if it's not perfect, there's no reason why it can't be amended in the future. But offering those protections really forces those companies, sometimes around the globe, to put in protections that they normally wouldn't have, which benefits it's people outside of the EU, including here in the United States, Australia, everywhere else. So I think that is a really, really important thing. And moving on, we're going to go back to Google because they've been in the news this week and we have to talk about Google Drive because Google Drive is pissing people off. Now, this is coming from Bleeping Computer, and here's what's going on. Google Drive users are reporting that recent files stored in the cloud have suddenly disappeared, with the cloud service reverting to a storage snapshot as it was around April or May of this year. So basically, now what you have in Google Drive looks like back in April. So anything you, that you've added from April or May and on appears to be gone for some users. Now, a trending issue reported on Google support forums starting the week previously described a situation where people say they lost recent data in full and folder structure changes as well. The activity logs on impacted accounts do not show any recent changes, thus confirming that the users themselves did not accidentally delete them. And when you have a legion of people saying, hey, this is gone, odds are you don't have that many people screwing up and drunkenly deleting whatever it is, you know, that they're deleting. Now, overall, there are no indications of user error, but rather a problem with the services system that prevented the synchronization of data between the local devices and Google Cloud at some point. Some users have offline caches that might be containing or that might contain the missing data, but no known method exists to basically restore access to the data within them. Now, Google's volunteer support agents have posted an alleged response from Google support engineers that confirm they are already investigating this issue. However, an estimate for the fix has not been provided as of November 27 when I'm reading this and I went looking as well. Now, here's the other interesting thing is that in this time period, Google also announced, and this is outside the Reuters article, that they were essentially going to be removing uh, inactive mailboxes from Gmail. So in other words, you have an old Gmail account you haven't logged into in years, you still haven't logged into it in this past week, Google basically killed it for you. Uh, that's something that has been widely reported as well. I also posted on that uh, earlier this 
week on my social media accounts just to give everybody a heads up. But here's the thing. I'm wondering if those two in some way, shape or form aren't interrelated. And so we're going to see what happens. We're going to see what Google says, but you know, and I'm not putting money that it's Gmail's caught up in this, but that was a major change for them. And by virtue of that, maybe they're making changes on the infrastructure that, that inadvertently impacted Google drive. So we're going to see what happens, but if you're a Google drive user, you definitely want to go and look at your Google Drive, especially if you haven't been there in a while, and make sure that what you have posted in the last couple of months or uploaded or saved is still there. And for the record, Google Drive is free. It is data mined, and I highly recommend going and paying for a service. They're not that expensive, and they're a lot more secure. Moving on, let's talk about the admin or administrator of a $19 million marketplace that was selling social security numbers because he just got eight years in jail. Now, this is coming from the register, and here's what's going on. A Ukrainian national is facing an eight-year prison sentence for running an online marketplace that sold the personal data of approximately 24 million U.S. citizens. Now, Vitaly Chaichasov, age 37, was sentenced on Tuesday after pleading guilty to conspiracy to commit access device fraud and trafficking unauthorized access devices. In addition to the prison sentence, he will forfeit $5 million in asset, the proceeds of fraud, and his control of various marketplace domains. Attempting to enter Hungary at the time, Chayashov was arrested in March of 2022 for running the SSNDOB marketplace, which stands for, if you're in the United States, you should know this, Social Security Number, Date of Birth, and operated various other domains, including blackjob.biz, sndob.club, sndob.vip, and ssndob.ws. Say all of that five times in a row fast. Now, he was later extradited to the United States in July of 2022 after SSNDOB was shut down by U.S., Latvian, and Cypriot authorities. The SSDO, the SSNDOB marketplace dates back to more than a decade and was operating as early as 2013, then on the domain SSNDOB.ru. RU is the suffix for the Russian domain system, so that's awesome. Now, at the time, full records, or fulls as they're called, which included full names, addresses, phone numbers, dates of birth, and social security numbers were sold for 50 cents per individual. That's right. That's how much your American data is worth, apparently, on the open market. Now, if these fulls were located in or located by DOB, they cost $1. If they were located by zip code, they cost $1.50. In other words, the more information, the more expensive it is because you can run scams on that. Now, consumer credit reports were also available for $15, as were background reports for $12, and driver's license reports for $4. So they were aggregating and collecting an absolute ton of information, and he is now spending eight years in jail, which, quite frankly, is probably a little low. I'm a big stickler for these kinds of things. Moving on, let's talk about router and NAS maker Zizel. Uh, basically, they're warning that new critical vulnerabilities have been found in their NAS, or network-attached storage devices. Now, this is coming from TechSpot, and here's what's going on. Zizel has recently released a new security advisory for a bunch of security vulnerabilities discovered in the company's NAS devices. The six flaws, and there are six of them, could be abused to bypass authentication protocols and inject malicious commands into the NAS OS. This is according to Zizel. Users are advised to install the already available security patches for quote-unquote optimal protection in their network storage setups. The company conducted a quote-unquote thorough investigation 
to identify these supported devices affected by these flaws, which include the NAS326 and NAS542 network storage models. The Taiwanese manufacturer did not provide a possible mitigation measure or measures or workaround to shield devices against these flaws. And to keep your data safe, customers need to install the following firmware. So you need firmware versions V5.21, uh, and that is for the NAS326 or V.521 for the NAS542. Basically, just go to Zizel and get the latest firmware for your NAS or network attached storage device. I'm not a big fan of like smaller makers like this. Oftentimes, they don't have good software development life cycles and a ton of flaws, uh, you know, creep in and they're never they're never caught until researchers catch them and everybody is wide open. Eris modems, I'm looking at you for that one. Huge, huge issues with that. So there you go. But hey, if you've got a Zizel NAS, you know what to do. Moving on, let's talk about the U.S. government sanctions on a prolific North Korean cyber espionage unit. Now, this is coming from CyberScoop, and here's what's going on. The U.S. government sanctioned one of North Korea's premier cyber espionage units this past Thursday. Now, this is a group that is known to support Pyongyang's intelligence collection efforts, which also conducts operations to support its nuclear program, and that's according to a statement from the U.S. Treasury Department. The group tracked uh, variously as Kim Sucky, APT-43, Emerald Sleet, Velvet Cholima, uh, TA-406, I hadn't heard that one, TA-406, and Black Banshee has been operating since at least tw uh, 2012, according to U.S. government estimates, and works under the umbrella of North Korea's Reconnaissance General Bureau, or RGB, uh, basically uh, the country's primary intelligence service. Now, the RGB was sanctioned by the U.S. government on August 30th of 2010, and again on January 2nd of 2015. Kim Sucky or APT-43's operations in recent years have been widely exposed, analyzed, and documented by various government and industry researchers. I know I've talked about them in my Breaches of the Week video and outside of that when I talk about North Korea, so these guys have been around for quite some time. Nevertheless, and I quote, APT43 has, dem APT has demonstrated remarkable resilience, continuing to employ sophisticated social engineering tactics to target unsuspecting individuals and organizations, end quote. That's according to Michael Barnhart, principal analyst at Mandiant, talking to CyberScoop via email. So obviously, never good. The North Koreans have been incredibly active on the cybersecurity, cyber espionage, and cyber warfare front for quite some time. Moving on, let's talk about Tesla, because they finally released their cyber truck. And this probably isn't news to you, but let's give you an update nevertheless. Tesla's most controversial EV yet was basically unleashed on the world this past week with the first customers driving away in the cyber truck. Now, We've known about this pickup for years. It was announced and pre-orders were accepted back in 2019. But getting it to market obviously has taken a lot longer than expected. And we didn't know much. And now we know a lot more. So that said, what did Elon Musk reveal when the cyber uh, truck was delivered at the event a couple of days ago? It's going to be expensive. The cheapest model is now costing sixty, basically $61,000 US, which is around 48,000 euros or so, which is about 92,000 Australian. And the priciest setup that you've got is about $100,000 US or 79,000 euros or 150,000 Australian. Now, 
Basically, we also know that it will have a relatively modest range between 250 and 340 miles. It was promised originally to be a lot more than that. There's also going to be an optional range extending battery pack for certain models that add an additional 130 miles or so. Now, zero to 60, though, is bonkers for a truck at 2.6 seconds, zero to 60 time, and that is the top spec model of the cyber truck now only time's going to tell if this is going to be a success but obviously everybody's talking about it i posted on this an article on my social media and i got an apps like probably tens of thousands of impressions and people just responding good bad ugly whatever it is so we're going to see where that goes with the cyber truck but obviously that's a big one too Moving on, let's go back to the law because the feds here in the United States are charging a former Whittier Tech employee with a cyber attack in back in June on school systems. Now, this is coming from local news source WHAV. A former employee of Whittier Regional Vocational Technical High School has agreed to plead guilty this past Wednesday to a federal charge of a cyber attack on the school this past summer. Now, according to court documents, 30-year-old Connor Lahiff was employed as a desktop and network manager at Whittier Tech until he was uh, basically fired in June. Now, after his termination, Lahiff allegedly used his administrative privileges to deactivate and delete thousands of Apple IDs from, from the school's Apple School Manager account software used to manage student, faculty, and staff information, as well as uh, technology resources. Now, Lahiff also allegedly deactivated more than 1,400 other Apple accounts and other IT administrative accounts and disabled the school's private branch phone system, which knocked out the school's telephone service for around 24 hours. And so obviously now he's getting charged with this, and this basically is the kind of thing that we occasionally hear get phone calls on as well, where it's like, oh my god, the administrator quit in a huff and just locked everybody out. And when you're knocking out basically the entire infrastructure, teachers can't teach, students don't have access to technology. It's basically shutting down the functioning of a school in the same way a ransomware attack shuts down a business because they have to basically unscrew all of that. So that obviously is a very huge thing. Now, with that, let's move on because we've got one more for you. And this one I think is interesting because the patch faster fix faster method simply isn't working. Now, this is coming from CyberScoop, and here's what's going on. Addressing computer security vulnerabilities by quickly finding and patching flaws is a fundamentally broken model in need of being overhauled. That's according to Eric Goldstein, who is a top, top cybersecurity official at CISA, or the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, speaking this past Friday. And I quote, to say that our solution to cybersecurity is at least in part patch faster fix faster, that is a failed model. Now, Goldstein said this at an event held by the nonprofit International Information System Security Certification Consortium. Quote, it is a model that does not account for the capability and the acceleration of the adversaries who we're up against. Now, Goldstein, who is the Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at CISA, argued that delivering broad gains in computer security requires a, quote, philosophical shift, and quote, that puts a smaller burden on school districts, water utilities, and small businesses to maintain secure systems, and ask more of large companies to provide more secure software and hardware. Quote, if you're a school district, a water utility, a small business, you're fundamentally not going to repeatedly succeed over time against the malicious actors that we are trying to manage every day. 
Now, indeed, with just in the last week, and I've talked about this previously, uh, we've had water facilities in Pennsylvania and Texas hit. Uh, essentially, Iranian-linked attackers broke into that network. Uh, you know, a ransomware gang hit the Texas one. Uh, our, the Iranians apparently hit the Phil uh, Pennsylvania one, not Philadelphia. So obviously, these are huge things. Now, Goldstein said that the CISA is calling on technology providers to take accountability for the security of their customers by doing things like enabling default security controls, such as multi-factor authentication, making security logs available, using secure development practices, and embracing memory safe languages such as Rust. In other words, if you're using uh, basically languages like Rust, it's very harder to hijack processes and systems, therefore making them more secure. Goldstein also expressed hope that artificial intelligence can help speed up efforts to find and fix vulnerabilities in legacy code, discover tactics, techniques, and procedures used by malicious attackers, and to assist in writing secure code. CISA is currently assessing AI risks for the sector it oversees in conjunction with sector risk management agencies and industry directed by a recent executive order. And that, I think, is exactly one of those things, because what he's saying dovetails essentially with the language that was in the National Cybersecurity Strategy executive order that President Biden recently put out, where the shift moves from the individual, small business, etc., to more of the infrastructure, hardware, and software providers as well. That said, and I said it back then, is that this is a shared responsibility. We have to understand where basically we pick up and and, and, and take, all, take over for them. And yes, basically enabling and enforcing default security controls, such as multi-factor authentication, is important. Basically giving users detailed logging so that they can quickly review forensically, ideally, if there is some kind of attack is good. Microsoft has answered that call, and now where they were restricting logs to more basic uh basic users or basic tenancies of Office 365, they're now giving more verbose logging. That's something that we've needed for quite some time. But also understand, this doesn't leave small businesses, etc. off the hook. We need to practice good cyber hygiene because at the end of the day, if we are solely relying on hardware, software, and third parties, something is going to fail. Uh, uh, basically, a malicious email is going to get through your spam filter. A virus is going to get down through your firewall. And so it, it's up to us to spot the phishing email. It's up to us to look and spot that malicious fake Office 365 login that's simply trying to steal our credentials or download an infection from a fake UPS sent you a package kind of thing. And so understand this is, continues to be a shared responsibility. And while I completely agree with Mr. Goldstein that the hardware, software, and infrastructure providers in our life need to basically create a, a more secure system and enforce better policies, which uh, many users will begrudgingly accept, but they will accept them. We have to do it too. And so with that, that was your news for the past week, November 26th through December 2nd of 2023. Let me know what you thought of this segment. I'd love feedback on this. And there you go. And please like, share, follow me here on Facebook and Twitter at Nick AESP. And please feel free to subscribe to me at YouTube as well. And as always, stay safe, stay online, and please attempt to stay private. Thanks, everybody.